caution. What you are about to listen to could be dangerous for anyone wishing to live a normal, safe life at the end of a cheesy cul-de-sac. Back to Jerusalem podcasts are not made in sterile recording studios with professional DJs, but instead behind enemy lines with horrible acoustics, bad internet connections, and suspicious-looking coffee. Listening to Back to Jerusalem podcast could include unwanted side effects like selling your house, leaving your boring job, and uncontrollable desires to speak strange foreign languages. So buckle up, strap in, and hold on, because this is Fast Train, baby, to all those places your mother warned you about. And now, for your host, the man known for having a radio face, Eugene Bach, coming to you live on delay in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Hong Kong. This morning, I actually started off um, doing a... I guess it was like a forum uh, together with Morning Star Ministries. Morning Star Ministries had a forum primarily focused on Islam, and it was really amazing. If you haven't heard of Morning Star Ministries, you can go to their website. uh, You can look them up. They also have a subdivision called CM Missions. uh, But Morning Star Ministries on the Internet, it's associated with Pastor Rick Joyner. Uh, you can see that on this day, which is uh, April 12th, on, or actually it would be April 11th in America. So the forum was on April 11th in American time, April 12th on, in Asia time. It was an evening forum. And at the evening forum, they brought together some really well-known individuals to kind of break down Islam. I really was hoping I would get more time to speak, but there were so many other people there that had more to say that would probably benefit the audience than than I had. So I was listening and was enjoying what the others were sharing. But the the things that I just wanted to comment on, for those that might have seen it, I wanted to give a debrief. If you have not seen it, I would encourage you to go and watch it. I think we spent about an hour to an hour and a half. It started at 7 p.m. Eastern time uh, and ended, I think, a little bit later than they wanted. Uh, it might have even been around 8, 8.30 by the time we wrapped everything up. Myself and two other individuals were brought in by satellite or uh, internet um, feed, and then the other four panelists were there. I know that there was Pastor um, David White. He was there. Uh, you had mission strategist for Morningstar Ministries, uh, George Perot. He was there. Uh, there was a former Iranian Muslim. Um, he was there. His name was Cameron. And uh, then there was former Congressman Mark Siliander. He was also there. Those were the four panelists. And then abroad, they had a gentleman um, coming in by the name of John Kava. And then another gentleman, and I don't know his full name, but they called him Daniel. And Daniel um, comes is a former Muslim background believer. And I, out of everything that was said, I don't think that anybody really had enough time to get traction to do any sort of introduction. But 
I really thought that Daniel came across as a very interesting because he is a former Muslim background believer. And what he had said really struck me because he had pointed out, if you watch the interview, you have this, this Muslim that is coming in. I think that he was, he was coming live from somewhere, um, either in Europe about to go to the Middle East or in the Middle East he works in Syria. But basically he had said something that I thought was very interesting, which is brothers and sisters do not use the term moderate, moderate Muslim. Do not use the term moderate Islam. There is no such thing. He, he talked about how his father still works at a mosque and how he comes out of Islam. And he felt that only those that follow um, Islam are Muslims. And either you follow Islam or you don't. And if you don't follow Islam, you are not a Muslim. And if you do, you are a Muslim. So that was his premise. And, and I, I found that to be – the reason I found that to be interesting is because I haven't really heard that perspective before. And so I think that there were a couple people on the panel that could be lightning rods in and of themselves. Probably the most balanced individual there uh, would have – uh, just from listening would have probably been John Kava just because um, I didn't hear him say too much and there was nothing that he said that I thought would be a an issue with most Christians or even most non-Christians for that matter. And then also the Iranian that was there, uh, Cameron. I think that both of them – uh, they, they shared the very strongly the message of love. Now, because I have read the materials from, um, former Congressman Mark and I've, I've sat down with him and had an afternoon together with him. I knew a little bit more about where he was coming from. So the words that he was saying, I was able to interpret, uh, from his background, from what I already know about him. And so I know that he can cause quite the controversy. So what was interesting is I think you had Mark on one side, if I understand. So I'm not saying that this is the case. I'm only talking about this is kind of my debrief. This is, this is my understanding of what took place. And so I'm going to just lay it out and then I'm going to share a few thoughts if that's okay. So what we have is we have on one side, I would think you would have Mark and I could be wrong. I mean, uh, Cameron might be on the other side of Mark or, um, even John Kava, he might be as well. I'm not sure, but I do know that Mark, you have Mark on one side, who's actually been a part of a program to interpret uh, or not interpret to provide an English translation for the Quran, and then at the bottom are footnotes, footnotes that correspond to the different surahs of the Quran. The surahs being the different verses of the Quran, and the the corresponding verses not just being labeled as in well, this story here about Jesus can be found in John three sixteen. It's actually written out from what I understand. I haven't seen one yet, but it's written out these verses, and. Mark has been a part of this as an effort to evangelize Muslims, to use the Quran as a bridge uh, to reach Muslims, where Christians can provide these Qurans or use these Qurans, where Muslims are reading the Quran who really don't understand the Quran because most of them do not speak uh, Arabic as their mother tongue. So because many of them are reading Arabic as a second language, 
many of them are not able to understand it with their heart language. And because many people that are in the Muslim world today do not speak Arabic fluent enough to read the Quran, most of them do not read the Quran. They might recite surahs, surahs for their prayers. Their prayers are a part of the five pillars of Islam. Um, Within that five pillars, they have to say their daily prayers and recite Quranic verses. And so they might memorize prayers and Quranic surahs uh, in Arabic, but the meaning of them might completely escape them altogether. It's just recitation, regurgitation of information. So what uh, Siljander has done, or Siljander, uh, Siljander would be his the, the Swedish pronunciation of his name. That what he has done, what, what former Congressman Mark has done, is help work on a project that provides the, the, the clear layout of biblical verses that correspond to the Quran and that now they are doing it for the Bible as well where you can read the Bible with corresponding surahs for the Quran in the in that Bible now that is going to be a, a huge um, issue with many Christians in the church. And then you have someone on the other side, which was Daniel, the missionary that is on the field working with Muslims that have been hit hardest by ISIS and working in ISIS areas. And his feeling is there is no connection between moderate Islam and true Islam. Moderate Islam does not exist. And where I think he was coming from, I, I've never met him. I don't know exactly his background. I don't know anything about his story. The only thing that I know about him is what you would learn from him if you were watching the video of this forum, which I highly encourage you to do. Anyway, what is happening there, I believe, is what he's trying to point out is something that I truly believe from what I've seen on the field. And I just wanted to point out a couple things. One of the things was Cameron, uh, the, 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 the former Muslim from Iran, said it this way. He said, you know what? I didn't ask to be born a Muslim. I didn't ask to be born in Iran. But that's, that's where I was born. And it, is it right for Christians to hate me? or uh, distance themselves from me, or to fear me, because I was born in Iran. My mother was a very kind, loving individual. She served anybody that would come into our house. She would fix them meals. And, and this is the story that I see over and over again when working in Muslim countries, that it, we as a church, I think, have been a bit confused Because on one side, we hear the news and we hear world leaders that we really expect, respect, people like David Cameron, uh, people like George Bush, people like President Barack Obama, uh, individuals around the world that are leaders in the political community that point out and say, this is not Islam. ISIS does not represent Islam. Al-Qaeda doesn't represent Islam. This is an extreme form that has hijacked the religion. And when people see that, they think, okay, huh? Oh, right. This is not Islam. Islam is a peaceful religion. And then they go and they see followers of Islam, the majority who of which support Quranic teachings, the majority of which support Sharia law, the majority of which support Al-Qaeda and ISIS, even if they don't fundamentally follow ISIS and Al-Qaeda. 
So then they see this. And, and then they see, you know, these, these images of Muslims killing Christians, killing innocent women and children, blowing themselves up in the market, either in Jerusalem or in Paris or in Los Angeles, uh, killing innocent people that are not Christian, that are not Muslim, that are agnostic or, or maybe even atheist or just secular citizens that really don't adhere to any religion, even if they were born in one religion. So as we look at that, there, there seems to be a bit of a disconnect, a, a contradiction between what we hear in the news and the world leaders and what we see. And so what we see, we then hear people that interpret what it is that we see. And then we hear people say we need to um, you know, block all Muslims from coming to the U.S., as we've heard with uh, Donald Trump, who's running for president in the United States right now. We've heard uh, individual pastors who've stood up and they've burned the Quran. They set fire to the Quran and said that this is a satanic book. And they have explained Islam from the Quran and show it as an evil, violent religion. And I think many Christians are confused, which is why I think it was so good that Morningstar Ministries held this forum. It brought together people of different thoughts to kind of um, share and explain what our role is as Christians. What wasn't done is an explanation of Islam. Is Islam a peaceful religion or not? Are Muslims violent people or not? With the the gentleman who was um, the uh, Cameron, who was born in Iran, who said, listen, I didn't have a choice. I think that that is probably a good place to start because not everybody in the forum got a long period of time to speak. So let me just share this from the perspective of not a, the, a, a Muslim theologian or an Islamic theologian and not even from the perspective of a prior Muslim or someone with a Muslim background, not even somebody who spent a lot of time in scholarly circles studying Islam, but more as someone who's practically on the ground engaging Muslims on a daily basis together with the Chinese, with a Chinese mindset, with a Chinese mission. When we look at Islam from that perspective, Cameron was absolutely right. Number one, we need to notice this when we, when we engage Muslims on a regular basis, is that Muslims don't have a choice. They were born into the slavery of Islam. Now, Islam is a religion, but when people talk about Muslims, to be Muslim means more than just the religion of Islam. In fact, you can be Muslim and not follow Islam at all or the five pillars of Islam. What I mean by that is that Muhammad was not just a religious figure. He was not just a prophet. He was a political leader. He was a military, military leader. He was an economic leader. He led the finances of nations. He led the, the forefront. He was the main person catapulting the actions of the Muslim army, an army that he invented, an army that he raised up, an army that became ruthless and, and, and killed and slaughtered and destroyed everything in their path. Um, he became the leader of a social environment on where every aspect of one's life was controlled socially. And when I talk about every aspect, if you're not familiar with Islam, especially Islam in Iran from where Cameron came from, 
Everything is controlled from the way that you pray to the way that you eat to what you eat, to what hand you use to shake hands, to what clothing that you're allowed to wear, to even the haircut that you get. Did you know that in Iran, there are only a certain list of haircuts for men and women? You can't just cut your hair any old way. Even your haircut is specifically controlled by Islam. Uh, Even the way that you go to the toilet is controlled. The way that you have a sexual relations with your wife or your spouse is controlled. The most intimate parts of your private life are controlled by Islam in Iran. And that's the same with Islam in uh, Saudi Arabia. And what I think a lot of confusion arises when we hear that leaders around the world say, well, this is an extremist view. The Ayatollahs in Iran are extremists. The the leaders in uh, Saudi Arabia are extremists. The problem with that, that, that idea is that Islam is a religion that's been it is is a peaceful religion that has been hijacked by radical uh, movements radical movements like uh, Al Nusra or um, um, Al Qaeda or ISIS or da- Daesh or however you want to refer to uh, the Islamic State. The problem with that is that their leaders are actually very aware of what the Quran says. They are a lot more knowledgeable about the Quran than myself. They are a lot more knowledgeable about the Quran than David Cameron or Barack Obama. These are experts on the Quran. Al-Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, is called Dr. Al-Baghdadi because he has his doctorates in Islam. He claims to be a descendant from the lineage of Muhammad. He has given up his entire life studying the Quran and the Hadiths. There are six main Hadiths that are accepted by the Sunni religion. There are four that are usually accepted by the Shia. The Shia do not accept them as truth as much as the Sunni. But the Hadith is very much a part of the Sunni following of Islam. And that is the majority of Islam around the world. And so to say that they have hijacked Islam is to misunderstand the interpretation of the Quran. Now we can take the Quran as Siliander has done and find areas where we can build a bridge, which is what Mark is doing. Uh, Congressman Mark is finding those bridges that you can you you don't go to a Muslim saying that your religion is evil and bad and and, and you need to change. Of course not. We, we, whenever Jesus was put on the spot, for instance, when they asked him, do you pay a tax to Caesar or do you not? Do you work on the Sabbath or do you not? Do you heal on the Sabbath or do you not? Jesus didn't just give a yes or no answer. He asked another question and then had others ask that answer, to give an answer to that question. And that would be and the answer for him as well. And my point is, is that Jesus did not try to be abrasive, but the truth that he represented was innate in its abrasiveness. You might want to, you might want to listen to that again. It was the truth that Jesus represented was innate. It, it had a, it had a, a characteristic that was, that was woven into the very fabric of who Jesus was. That was abrasive. 
in and of itself. That is that the, Jesus was the word and the word was the truth. And the truth was that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one who was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, as promised by Isaiah. So if he is the one that is promised, if he is the Messiah, then that is going to cause controversy all by itself. Now, do I have to say to people, did Jesus need to tell the Jews, uh, I am the Messiah, you need to follow me or you're going to hell? No, he knew that they were going to argue with him, and he wasn't there to win an argument together with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. If you see the teachings of Jesus, he very rarely spent any time engaging the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but he did call them names. (laughs) You may not want to uh, say that that's love. You may not want to replicate that, but I'm sorry, Jesus did not engage the Sadducees and the Pharisees in the way that we might try to make an argument for today. Because we as Christians might have become more secularized and we have considered ourselves to be more inclusive, more loving. We use this term loving very uh, liberally, more, more understanding. And that's usually code for compromise. Now, love is the opposite of compromise. Love and compromise are not the same thing. Love involves what Jesus did. By walking in the footsteps of Jesus, we are walking in the footsteps of love. And when walking in the footsteps of Jesus, we see a template for engaging Muslims. Those that want to argue, our, our, our best energies can, are not spent arguing with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Our best energies are spent walking in the footsteps of Jesus, and Jesus reached those that were hungry. He wanted to reach those that were lost, those that would accept his truth, those like the woman at the well, those like the thief on the cross, those that were lost and were looking for truth. And Jesus gave them truth with love and acceptance and understanding, but not compromise. What's the difference? Love gives sacrifice. It says, this is the truth and you need the truth and I'm going to give you the truth even if you hate me for it. Though I want your friendship. Though I want to be companions, though I would like to live a life where people like me, I cannot help but to give you the truth because I love you. Though it hurts me, I love you more than my desire to remove myself from hurt. Though I love you, I will give my life to make sure that you have the truth. Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us. But he did not compromise who he was. Compromise is the opposite of love. Compromise says, I actually like my surroundings. I like my wealth. I like my friends. I like my popularity. I like my job and I want to keep them. I want to keep my status. I want to keep my popularity. I want to keep my comfort, comfortable life. Therefore, I will compromise and say, you know what? Your way is good too. It is the gospel of Oprah Winfrey. This is the good news according to Oprah Winfrey. 
And I use that term because Oprah really points to this idea that all paths lead to the truth. And that is not truth. That is a lie. That is deceptive. Islam is a lie. Will lead the, to the path of destruction. And if you follow that lie, you will lead to a life away from love, life away from peace, life away from joy, which is Jesus Christ. To compromise is to say, you know what? You're going down a bad path, but it's okay. As long as you don't hate me and it doesn't affect my life, I will allow you to be who you are. I'm going to be who I am because it serves my purpose. By allowing you to feel good about yourself, even though you're wrong, according not to me, but to the Bible, you are wrong. And by allowing you to walk down that path, I have saved myself some grief. I have saved myself some persecution. So compromise is about self-preservation. Muhammad compromised. Muhammad peddled a, a message of peace to the Christians and the Jews, which are found in the Quran. And the reason he did that, because he was in the minority and he was appealing to the majority. The majority was stronger than him. True love is not found in a minority position, but in a majority position. True love is found not from an inferior position of weakness, but from a superior position of strength. Because if you are at a superior position of strength and still show love and mercy, that is true love because you ideally have nothing to gain from it. Whereas love and mercy shown from an inferior position could arguably be given from a position of self-preservation, that you did it because you didn't want to lose your life. Therefore, I may not agree with the laws of Greece, but I submit to the laws of Greece because the police officers or the soldiers of Greece that impose the law of Greece are stronger than me. That isn't because I love the law of Greece. It's because I have to abide by the law of Greece or I will find myself in jail. And I don't want to be in jail. I want to live life outside of jail. Therefore, I submit and compromise what I believe to live a life more comfortable. Does that make any sense? That love and compromise are not the same thing. Love is the ultimate sacrifice. Love is given from a position of strength and sacrifices itself even though it can be against your best interests. Paul could have arguably reached more countries, preached to more people if he would have just compromised. If he would have just said that homosexuality was okay, if he would have just said, you know what, all these other gods that you're serving in Greece are okay, if his message from the book of Acts chapter 17 was given and said, you know what, it would be okay to continue serving this unknown God. Or uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter, um, uh, uh, what was it, Acts chapter 14 and 15. Um, it, if, if what we had seen with the, with Paul in the book of Acts would have had anything to do with compromise, we would have seen that Paul would have said, these other gods that you're serving, they're also okay. They're, they're, they're also not bad. Acts chapter 17, when, when, when Paul goes to Mars Hill, 
He shares and makes a bridge like Congressman Mark is doing, but he does not compromise. He doesn't say Allah and God are the same. He doesn't say that this the gods of your city and, and Jesus are the same. He could have lived longer if he would have taken that approach. He would have lived longer if he would have said that Jesus was a good prophet. He wouldn't have been beheaded in Rome. Uh, Stephen, who was covered and in, 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 in under the power of the Holy Spirit, the very first martyr story that we really get in the book of Acts, could have lived longer if he would have tried to compromise at least a little bit with the Jews. But he didn't. He became even more abrasive the more that God used him. And that may make you feel uncomfortable, but love is sacrificial. Love is not abrasive because it tries to be abrasive. It just is. And those that want to argue will argue anyway. But there is a lost world out there that needs the truth. And what is the truth? For those that are trying to find answers in Islam, you're not going to find them. The problems that we find today with the terrorists are from, yes, extremists, but we also have Christian extremists. Now, here is something that you need to know the difference between. Muslim extremists and Christian extremists. Because I believe that the only thing that is going to defeat extremist Islam is extremist Christians. Extreme Christians are the only ones that are going to defeat Islam. But the explanation of extreme Christians is not going to be found in your nightly news. It's not going to be found in secular print. And it may not even be found in some of your more secular Christian discourse. Because extreme Islam follows Islam to the extreme. Starting with its founder, Muhammad. I would love to tell you that Muhammad was a peaceful Gandhi. But he was not. I would love to tell you that he was a loving, giving person, but he was not. Would you compare him to Moses? Would you compare him to Gideon? Would you compare him to David? I would say that there's a huge difference, and I can go into that at a different time, but those individuals were going after a certain people in time just as. Muhammad was going after certain people in a certain time. It was limited to a certain time. And so people will say, well, why can't the same liberty be extended to Islam? Okay, let's extend that. That's for a different argument. I would love to debate that extension of saying that it was only for that time that we see violence. However, we're not interpreting Christianity through the eyes of um Gideon, through the eyes of David, through the eyes of Solomon. We interpret Christianity, extremist Christianity, through the eyes of Jesus. And if we interpret extremist Islam, we have to do it through the eyes of Muhammad to find out where the extremists have gone wrong. But when we follow the life of Muhammad, we see that the extremists are actually walking in the footsteps of Muhammad. Therefore, their interpretation of the Quran is one in which is done 
with the idea of the eyes of Muhammad, the Prophet Muhammad. And when we see the interpretation of the surahs, of the Quran, of the Hadith, through the eyes of Muhammad and his life, we get a very violent interpretation. And so therefore, extremists are violent in Islam. Extremists are not violent in Christianity. But you say, well, what about KKK? What about those Christians that blow up abortion clinics? What about the Crusades? The problem that you have by equating extremist Christians with extremist Islam is that in order to be an extremist, you have to interpret through the eyes of the founder. If you use the term extremist Christianity together, Christianity denotes the fact that it comes from Christ, Jesus Christ. Therefore, the interpretation in an extreme form, its most radical state, is through the eyes of Jesus. So therefore, an extremist Christian would actually be an Amish, if you're familiar with the Amish or the Mennonites. An extreme Christian would be an individual who does not kill who does not lead armies, who does not lead political movements, but who sacrifices themselves at the feet of their enemies for the sake of love. That is an extremist Christian. And when that is compared to an extremist Muslim, the contrast could not be greater. And that is something that very simply, very, very, very simply, we can understand about Islam. Now, what I want to share with those that don't know a lot about Islam is that I would not encourage you to become an Islamic scholar. However, if you are um, praying for Muslims on a daily basis, people like Cameron, I would highly recommend it. Hi I would highly, highly recommend it praying for those that are in Islam because those that are in Islam can't be blamed for being Muslim any more than a, a, a communist can be blamed for being born in a communist society or a Buddhist being born in a Buddhist society or a slave being born into slavery. A, a, a child that is born into a family that abuses him, we don't blame that child. Muslims are prisoners, prisoners in the religion of Islam, the, the, the destructive religion of Islam that wants to hold them captive and take them to the pits of hell. And the keys to unlock them are found in Jesus' revelation of who he is. When Jesus reveals who he is in Matthew chapter 16, he says, Upon this church, I will, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I give you the keys for loosening and the keys for binding up. And whatever you bind on earth will be unbound, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. Those keys have been given to us as the church. And there is a binding that has taken place with the enemy within Islam that has held these people captive. The Muslims that are coming to America, the Muslims that are coming to Europe, the Muslims that are coming to Christian territory, they are not looking to do good. They are looking to do good for themselves. Many of them are looking for economic opportunity. Many of them are loving individuals like 
uh, Cameron from from Iran. Just because Islam is a um, evil religion given as an evil um, revelation to the Prophet Muhammad, even though it is an evil revelation and an evil religion that teaches violence, that does not mean all Muslims are violent. It means that they are not violent in spite of their religion, not because of their religion. And they are loved by Christ and they need to be loved by us and we need to pray for them. We need to love them. We need to engage them. We need to invite them to our homes. Some of them will not want to be invited to our homes. Some of them will not be able to shake hands with us. Some of them will not be able to eat from our dinner plates because our dinner plates may have had pork. Some of them may not be able to eat from the food that comes from our pan because of the pork. We had, uh, when I used to live in Kunming, I would have uh, Muslims come and join us. So there was a Muslim that I worked together with in humanitarian projects. We worked hand in hand on humanitarian projects. I went and I bought new dishes so that we could serve him food and he would not have to worry about eating unclean food from an infidel. So I had new pans and new bowls and those kind of things that we could serve to him as a Muslim so that we could engage him the best that we could. So we are to show love, but we do not compromise. So I would encourage you in a book that I've written uh, about ISIS, you can find that on the Back to Jerusalem website. I give the five things that you should know about Islam. They're very, very simple. They break down Islam very, very simply so that you can know the truth, not so that you become a scholar and are able to argue with people about Islam. If some people say that it is a peaceful religion, don't argue with them. Engage them and share about the truth of Jesus Christ. You will find the truth of Jesus Christ is abrasive by itself. You don't have to add any more abrasion to that conversation. You don't have to tell people why they're wrong. You just state the truth and refuse to compromise the truth of Jesus Christ. There are five things about Islam that you should know and understand. The who, which is Muhammad. The what which is the Quran, the uh, who, what, when, when it was founded, how did it start, the where, where Islam exists today, how is it practiced, and the why, what are the incentives of Islam, what are the eternal values, what are the guarantees to eternal salvation. All of those answers I bring in the book about ISIS that I write. And I would encourage you to go and and get the book about ISIS if you haven't read it. But that is what I believe um, George and his panelists were trying to bring. And that was just my ideas. That's kind of my debrief on what took place on this Islamic forum. I'm so glad that you joined us. I hope that you're able to go and listen to this forum. Uh, You can find it on uh, Morningstar, Morningstar Missions. Uh, You can also, I believe, go to um, eaglemissions.org. That's www.eaglemissions.org. George uh, Perot is the director. Uh, for Eagle Missions, he is the he is also the director for missions at Morningstar, as well as the Morningstar University College of Theology. Um, you can go there and find out more information on how you can watch this live forum that took place. And if you've already seen that forum, I hope that this small debrief will be able to help with my thoughts, my my individual take 
from a Chinese perspective on this forum for Islam. Thank you, George. A special thanks to you and to Morningstar Missions for putting out this forum and allowing us an opportunity to partake. Again, this has been a Back to Jerusalem podcast, and I'm Eugene Bach coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Hong Kong. God bless you. There's a simple way for us to help ISIS victims. Drink tea. It's that simple. By drinking a cup of Back to Jerusalem Chinese tea, you will bring hope to the refugees displaced by ISIS. It is a healthy way to make a difference. So invite friends and family to your home for a Bible study around a warm pot of organic Chinese tea. Does your church have a cafe? Add Back to Jerusalem tea to the menu. All profits go to help ISIS victims in Iraq and Syria. My name is Jung, and I am an unashamed follower of Jesus Christ. It is considered quite dangerous for me to share the contents of this book, but these are stories that need to be told for God's glory and the encouragement of the church. So begins the extraordinary first-person account of a prominent leader of one of the largest underground churches in China. This dramatic true story is told in Back to Jerusalem's latest book, I Stand with Christ, by Eugene Bach. I Stand with Christ is a detailed account about a former Communist Party member who took a stand for his faith in Jesus and was targeted for prison, work camps, and torture. See how he goes from the prison cell of China's maximum security prison to leading one of the largest underground house churches of 10 million believers. Be amazed at this true story of suffering, sacrifice, and triumph. I Stand with Christ is available at www.backtojerusalem.com or where books are sold. <laughs>